0: Welcome to Breeder Syndicate. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Breeder Syndicate. I'm here with uh, our other host, Natsu Dog, and welcome. Uh, today, we're going to take you through a little bit of the '90s subculture. Both, brought, and me and Notso both have majorly different experiences in the '90s. Uh, we are in two different parts of the uh, state, and and in his case, uh, in the country. Um, and we were at different ages. So I, I think this is going to be a good one to to rattle off about.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're also going to uh, answer some questions. And then, you know, since we just dropped that uh, Corel interview a few days ago, uh, if people have questions or clarification that they want about a bunch of the stuff, we're, we'll spend some time chatting about that as well. So, you know, it's kind of going to be a little bit of a, a wide-ranging discussion you know, and we'll just kind of freeform it from
0: there. Yep. Sounds good. Okay, let's start off with uh your 90s experience.
1: Yeah. So I mean 90s experiences, uh, you know, we talked about in some previous episodes. We did a bunch of stuff on the 80s and the history. Uh, you know, Matt and I are not that old, frankly. So uh, don't have any weed growing experience from the seventies, uh, or the mid eighties. <laughs> nope. uh, but the nineties is where both of us start to come into the picture and both yeah. of us start to have actual real experiences of what was there, what was available. Uh, obviously, uh, Matt, uh, originates from the West coast. Uh, I originate from the Midwest. So very different, uh, experiences going on that. And, uh, you know, other places talk about what was your first high like and all that. And I don't think we need to spend very much time on that because it's Damn. kind of boring, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah. But um, I will say that, you know, um, so I'm a little older than Matt. And when I first started smoking weed in the uh, in the very early 90s, um, you know, there was no Internet. Um, there was no forums, uh, like I said, in previous talks, you know, there was some books, there was high times. Uh, I didn't realize at the time how inaccurate a lot of stuff was in high Times. (laughs) Nobody did. I read it as gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, now I could go back and read a bunch of stuff and be like, Oh my God, I hope nobody takes that advice. But back then, I mean, I was totally ignorant. So for me growing up in Chicago, uh, there was essentially two kinds of cannabis, uh, there was brown Mexican and green Mexican mm-hmm. uh, that was predominantly that's what there was there was no other kind of import that I ever saw very occasionally there was some hashish a little bit um, but brown and green dominated it uh, it was seeded you know mm-hmm. uh, the green Mexican tended to be a little bit nicer um, it was compressed the best stuff was not that compressed and didn't have that many seeds. We used to call that thirty sixty weed uh, mm-hmm. because it was thirty dollars an eighth and it was sixty dollars a quarter. Yeah, uh, the brown Mexican was more twenty forty weed. That mm-hmm. was more twenty an eighth, forty a quarter, uh, and the brown Mexican could have enormously different levels of compression to yep. it. And what I mean by compression is how much they squished it to get it across the border. Yeah. So it was squished with stems, seeds, buds, everything else. You had to fluff it. You had to break it up. Um, you know, and that's kind of that's kind of how I started. Uh, was smoking brown and green Mexican. Yeah, uh, that's what we had access to. Um, there were no glass pipes unless you went on Dead Tour and saw Bob Bob's Non Grass. The type of pipes that you could get were stone, clay, uh, metal. Uh, the bongs were essentially plastic, mm-hmm. uh, and in Illinois in Chicago, uh, there was no, you couldn't even buy that in the state. There wasn't a single head shop in the entire state. Uh, there was a couple of, uh, shady gas stations where mm-hmm. you could get some very cheap papers that they would claim were for rolling raw tobacco. Yeah. Uh, but even those places would get hassled by the cops. So for me, uh, you know, I had to drive to Kenosha, Wisconsin. I had to drive a good two, two and a half hours away to get to a head shop. Uh, even, even access to be able to buy any of these things. And then we had to smuggle them back in to our spot. There was no easy access to anything. So, you know, I saw, damn, we were paying out the ass for brickweed. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, there was no, the amount of the amount of demand, obviously Chicago is one of the big cities in in America. It's a metropolis. It's got an enormous amount of people. Uh, You know, I, um, there wasn't, there wasn't a bunch of California weed like there is today flooding the country. Uh, It just didn't at least maybe, maybe there was for certain circles, but my teenage ass, no, Yeah, Uh, I didn't know anybody. And so uh, the funny thing about the actual spot, someone said in Kenosha, the actual spot in Kenosha was called Supreme video. And what it actually was, was a huge porn shop uh, <laughs> that you had to go through. And in order to get to the head shop portion of the porn shop, you had to walk through a ginormous porn, you know, I mean, literally, you know how they have that, like the glass, the, the glass, like push beads and stuff. You oh, walk yeah. through the They had beads? those, yeah. they had those, but dildos. Yeah. So you literally had to like walk through like a wall of.
0: You never wanted to run backwards through it naked. I'll tell you.
1: Oh that. no! I you know generally speaking, I I didn't get naked in public, but, um, <laughs> but you know you would go there and there would be all kinds of metal pipes, stone pipes, a few clay pipes, graphics. I mean that was really all there was. Yep. Um, You know, uh, you know, getting clubs and all these high end papers that you have right now. They had, you know, the J.O.B.s, the Ritz. Like they had all the basic. There was no raw, there was no, uh, the, the papers were pretty much cigarette papers back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was literally like Supreme video. It was, uh, it was a huge porn shop with a head shop behind it that you had to walk through to get to it. And it was two and a half hours away. Yeah. So even, even access to that kind of stuff was, was pretty funny in that regard. Yeah. Zigzags, uh, were, you know, that was, that was high end, you know? Yeah. I mean, even back then this is totally different subject or whatever, but like the high end beer back then was like Heineken. Yeah. There was probably like three microbreweries or four microbreweries in the whole country. So even what we considered high grade of that was pretty midzy, you know, in that regard. And then, you know, I mean, the level of the level of knowledge that gets spread around right now uh, is pretty amazing. Back then, It was like, it was a lot of rumor. It was a lot of innuendo. It was a lot of stuff you learned from some older smokers, maybe. Uh, You know, I I made Matt, when we were planning this episode, I made Matt laugh because he had never heard of a resin chamber.
0: Uh, So anybody that that doesn't know
1: what a resin chamber is, is if you got like a metal pipe and the pipe had the smoking part and then it bent and had the the long piece that you puff off of, they would have a fat chamber that unscrewed and you would put your nicest Mexican weed in that chamber, your nicest bud of the eighth or quarter you bought, and you would smoke that because you would be getting free THC all over your bud, and then you would smoke that
0: bud last. Yeah, so see, essentially, we, just, we skipped that process and went ahead and just scraped the resin and just didn't didn't smoke any buds inside that little chamber. It was always there. I didn't know that people put shit in. No, it, it was
1: literally called it was literally called the resin chamber, and so I would yeah. ruin the nicest butt I had that I could fit in there every single bag I bought, because I Excellent. thought that, uh, that was the way that was, that was the older, the older cats. That's what they told me to do. And that made sense. And yeah, you did, you know, so I ruined weed. OG I moon mean,
0: rocks, bull. OG moon rocks.
1: I was also telling them a story about how, you know, uh, we would get all the, you know, the, the, gla- the pipes, that not the pipes, the, the, the bongs, the water pipes that we would get, you had to call them water pipes back then or they would throw your ass out of the store immediately and they would have big signs that say we only sell water pipes yeah because water pipes could be used for tobacco and thus weren't illegal where yeah. bongs were a specific nomenclature for marijuana and that could get a shop shut down so cops would come in and ask if i could buy a bong mm-hmm. just to see if the the shop was stupid enough to say something and then they would shut it down so you know yeah i mean I smoked out. We made pipes out of uh, tin foil using pens to form the tin foil. I smoked out of apples. I smoked out of uh, you know cans. My dad uh,
0: still tells every, everyone that he is every the uh,
1: every 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 nasty every nasty thing you would just laugh at now. But literally, the very first time I saw anybody smoke like using glass pipes was there was this guy. He's considered the grandfather of modern glass pipes. His name was Bob Snodgrass and he was a fixture on dead tour and he would blow pipes out of the back of his van and sell you little top hats. He had, you know, he was the coolest thing ever. Uh, but you had to literally go to a dead show. Um, you know, and so, um, yeah, we would even acquiring the method to smoke fucking weed was not very simple. You know, um, thank God I didn't smoke out of too much tin foil. Uh, my brain thanked me, but yeah, screens, cleaning your screens, ripping your screen out and holding it with a pair of needle nose and then like burning the resin off the screen so you could reuse it with your lighter, um, you know, uh, all that type of stuff that was like cutting edge technology. I remember, yeah, hemostat roach clips. Of course we had one of those too. Um, I remember the very first time somebody told me that, uh, you could clean up a, a bong with alcohol and salt. So I had a dirty graphics plastic bong and I got like 99% alcohol and I got some salt and I mixed them up and I poured it in the thing and I watched the whole bong just crack all the way up slowly. It just ruined my bong because <laughs> I didn't realize that that's what would happen uh, because cl- plastic's porous, you know? So there was so much resin that had like inhibited the glass that when it started melting the resin, it started structurally fucking with the pipe and I ruined <laughs> my bong and I was like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I had to like leave, leave the state to go get another one. That's all I had. You know, I was like, oh, there goes the bomb. Yeah. So, you know, um, now head shops are easy. The internet exists. Ordering shit's easy. Um, all that, you know, we used to, I used to take a, uh, a, a, um, a, a tray, right. And you take your weed up here on the tray and you'd angle it between your chest and your knees and you'd break up all of your Mexican at the top. And then all the seeds would roll down the tray and collect in the bottom lip. Um, and you had to de-seed and de-stem the entire thing just to get smokable weed. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, the, I mean, I don't, I can't, there was another, uh, porn store in Kenosha that sold, also sold pipes. The only one that I remember is Supreme Video. Uh, it's still there. Uh, I haven't been there in in decades but it still exists i don't know what it does now but it's certainly it's certainly uh that's how hard it was you know i mean even the big city like chicago everything was banned everything was illegal you had to go find it we used to use um postal scales that was the only kind of scale you could buy fuck getting a digital scale yeah Uh, there was no digital scale available there was nowhere that sold it there was nowhere to find it so you would have the little postal scale that you with the clip and you'd put your little Everybody knew that like a, a baggie, a sandwich baggie was one gram and a Ziploc was three and a half grams. Yep. And you'd have to hold it up, you know, and, and the buyer and the seller would make sure because depending on the level of compression, sometimes you'd buy brickweed and like an eighth would be like that. And someone would be yeah. like, there's no way that weighs right. It can't weigh right. You know, and you'd have to be like, oh, there's the hanging scale. Look, there you go. You know, no, it actually weighs. Yeah. Um. You know, and, uh, that was, you know, like a lot of people, triple beams, triple beams existed, uh, but they were hard to get. The older guys had triple beams, you know, and with the, you know, the thing and you move it along and do the whole big, that was the high end. If you could get a triple beam and you had the money to grab that, then you're, then you're really, then you're really doing it. But postal scales, honestly, as a teenager, that's what everybody it was. They were hideable. They were
0: small. Exactly. You could hide a triple
1: beam uh you know postal scales were like the standard when i was young um just straight up and so you know rather than talking about like your first highs or whatever that was the first state of weed that was weed normalcy um i'll shut up for a minute and matt can throw in he probably has a little bit better access because southern california he probably got a little bit nicer green bud than i he's shaking
0: his head no uh you know you know like, my, my first experience, like, as, it, as someone that went and actively bought pot, I'm not talking about watering for dad or any of that bullshit, right? Because I had no interest in any of that when I was young age. So when I first got into actually actively, like, going, trying to find weed, uh, the first stuff I saw was, you know, us, high school, fucking smoking out of fucking cans, you know. It, we had just gotten into high school. I was 13 when I entered high school. And that was when we first started buying from, you know, the seniors that had fucking shitty ass nets. But this was all we knew. So we grabbed it. And I remember the first times not breaking it up at all, just throwing it on a can and trying to burn it. You know, no one really taught us any of that kind of stuff, like how to properly break it up or do any of that shit. Um, But we saw a lot of compressed brick coming through. And traditionally, most even over all the years. The ones that I remember the most had this minty, almost chocolate smell. And I'm not talking like heavy terps, like, whoa, fuck, this is, it just had like very low smells of that. Or we had what we called the Pretendica, which was the uncompressed and, and usually not always, but usually it would be more redder hued. It would be full colas. And it in our area, we were doing like 60 an ounce, 250 for a pea of the, the max, but at the same time. The, the uncompressed was usually 250 to 300 or 60 to 70 an ounce. So it was, it, there wasn't a big difference in the uncompressed versus the compressed. So
1: for me, I'll just throw a little add to there. Um, since I'm from the Midwest, this, we can get a little bit historical here for a second. Uh, obviously, they they made uh, marijuana illegal in 19 and mm-hmm. hemp illegal in 1937. And then they had a problem in the 1940 and that we started World War Two. And they needed so many supplies for clothing, for sails, for ropes, for canvas, uh, army bags, all this. And so they had this program called Hemp for Victory, yeah. right? And in Hemp for Victory, they basically paid a bunch of farmers to grow millions of acres of cannabis, uh, hemp, not cannabis, not drug cultivars, but hemp for fiber in Illinois, Kansas, Indiana, a bunch of Midwestern states, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you're growing millions of acres of seeded cannabis, uh, there's going to be a bunch of wild seed. Sure. Uh, so that's where in the Midwest, that's where the term ditchweed comes from. Uh, it was wild populations of hemp because they made hemp illegal again right after we won the war. Mm-hmm. So for 40, from 40 to 45, they just grew just millions of acres of hemp in the Midwest. And then for decades after that, they paid the government and the DEA to eradicate it. Yeah. Uh, that most people don't know this, but like 90% of the DEA's budget to eradicate cannabis was just cutting down hemp fields in the Midwest that grew wild. Uh, but the way the government works, you know, um, you know, I uh, the, the way the government works is they just take the money and use the money, right? So, um, so ditchweed for us, which we called pretendica, was mm-hmm. I will freely admit that multiple times I bought what I thought were gorgeous looking ounces of premium kind bud green juicy frosty everything else and paid 350 400 bucks an ounce um and then you start smoking it and i at that point in my life i'd never even heard the word cbd i didn't know it existed oh, yeah. I, I didn't even know what hemp was really mm-hmm. um and i wouldn't get high and then we do this experiment where we'd smoke some green mexican and we get way higher then, yeah. and so we called it Pretendica because yeah. some entrepreneur scammers would go out there and they'd harvest some wild hemp that looked gorgeous. They'd dry it and they'd sell it to dumb bucks uh, that were teenagers that didn't know any better for top yep. dollar, thinking they were getting the juiciest, like seven bud ounce. Shit looked good. It, it did was look good. so good. And so that's yeah. what we called Pretendica. Yeah. Uh, because when you got cheated out of your money and you bought weed that didn't work.
0: Yeah, the and other I had no episode. idea at the
1: time why it didn't work. Now I know it, it was CBD. Yeah, You know, I was literally buying gorgeous hemp. Uh, but I didn't know, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, people are saying ditchweed. Ditchweed, that's what you call it. Indiana, Illinois, there's still ditchweed. Kansas, I'm sure there's still ditchweed. Uh, it grows wild populations. Yeah. It seeds itself. They eradicate it. It grows on the edges of farms. It grows on the edges of forests. It grows in ditches um obviously it rains a lot in the midwest in summer so it doesn't need very much care by humans at all to propagate itself nebraska certainly has a bunch um all those places where they farm you know you farm millions of acres of seeded weed uh there's millions and millions of seeds that hit the ground yeah um and it establishes a wild population essentially so um you know uh basically You know, I've I've talked a little bit about this before, but like uh, when I in the 90s, when I first got into Kind Bud, the two most reliable places for me to find Kind Bud was Holland and a Grateful Dead show. Other than that, it was incredibly hard to come by Mm -hmm. there. The supply of it was terribly limited. The demand for it was super high. Um, And, you know, so that's kind of how it was like when i said 2040 for brown weed and 3060 for green weed um anything better than mexican no matter how crappy grown was 50 100 yeah it didn't matter i mean I, I have some stories of some really messed up very poorly grown kind bug, but didn't matter it was 50 60 70 and eight. and if you didn't want it somebody else would hop in so figure it out You know, I don't know if that, I don't know what it was like in, uh, in where you're from that, but that, that was, that was my experience getting into cannabis was that was what was around.
0: Yeah. Um, we didn't really start seeing really good shit, at least in our circle until my, cause my dad went to prison for, he was always in and out. So he wasn't really like down to hook up his connects because he just wasn't there and he was always getting out and getting new connects. Um, my best friend, his name is Josh, moved back from Alaska. He got sent away to Alaska for some reason by his mom in high school. He did something bad or got in a car wreck, drunk or some, something crazy. But he got shipped off to Alaska and he comes back and he's like, check this shit out. He opens a saxophone case. He's got a bong in there. And this is like one of the first times I've seen a glass bong, a really nice glass bong, you know? And he breaks out this weed and it smells fucking crazy. I'd never really seen weed like that. And he's like, yeah, bro. He's like, let me tell you about this most potent strain on earth. It's called Matnuska Valley Thunderfuck, bro. You know, and and I didn't know about name strains at that point. Really, it wasn't like it, it was. It was a, all a big mystery to me. And he busts out some white, what he called white rhino and some white widow. You know, uh, that was our first real experience in our circle with those kind of strains. Um, but yeah, it, Bakersfield is is traditionally hardcore meki. Even now, you're not getting real quality shit like people that go to collectives you're just not seeing quality shit in bakersfield it's not a connoisseur market it's very much driven by low price in bakersfield
1: so i mean that's that's the personal experience or whatever we don't need Mm -hmm. to like harp too too long on what our own personal experiences are the main reason to talk about it was just to give people a sense of when you get into weed um you know honestly i'm not even sure i would have tried to start growing as soon as i did if I had access to a variety of kinds of kind bud, that's what we called it. Kind bud. Yeah. dank. Uh, those were the kind of the two words that we, we used for it uh, commonly um, was, the, and I'll add one more piece to it. So when I actually did um, meet some crews that uh, had weed, so this is the funny part, right? So let's say, let's say that uh, you, you, you're like three people away from a grower and this grower is growing like three or four or five pounds or something, right? Mm -hmm. The guy who bought all the stuff that the guy wasn't going to keep her personal. Let's say the group guy grew five pounds and he sold four. the dude that would buy the four pounds would take the four pounds and he would dump them out on the table and whatever he was going to keep, he would pick nug by nug the nicest looking shit out of the whole thing because every bit of it sold. So I might've only been like three people away from the grower and every bud I got in the half ounces I was buying was that big. Yeah. Like there was no, like everybody could just skim every person that got it. They just Mm -hmm. skimmed the amount they were keeping the, every nice bud because everything would work. It didn't matter, Mm -hmm. uh, which is ridiculous today that like you could essentially sell smalls, uh, at a premium. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the first time I heard the word dank, um, was uh going to dead shows uh that was the kind of the comp- kind bud or dank was the way that you described shit that wasn't mexican at yeah, least I, in my little circles
0: yeah I, I remember my first experience with it was my friend's adam my friend adam's older brother dave he he came home wearing a shirt that said dank on it and he's like i was like what well, what does that mean he's like it means it's not fucking swag bro <laughs> that was my first experience and i was like what the fuck is swag? You know, that was, yeah. What is, what is, what is swag?
1: you know? And so, I mean, there was this thing where, I mean, you know, being frank with people, like when you first get kind bud, like you didn't even know it existed, you know? Yeah. And then you, you have a situation where you already like weed. You're into smoking brown weed. You're into smoking the green weed. You like weed. You like getting high. It does all the different things to you. Yeah. And then you get some kind bud and like, you didn't even realize that that grade existed. Yeah. There wasn't any seeds, you know? Yeah, it's Um, a trip. all the first kind but I saw too was indoor. Uh coming from the Midwest, uh there was no outdoor. Yeah. Um, yeah, dirtweed, swag. Uh, you know, you'd cut it with sometimes with the bricks, you'd cut it with a bread knife.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, easy. you'd saw (laughs) it. Go at it with a serrated knife.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'd sit there and saw it and break (laughs) it up and fluff it and try to figure it out and all that stuff. And so you know, I mean, my friends and I, like we could go to, we could go to dead shows and, uh, we could buy, we could get weed, you know? I mean, that was one of the, it wasn't the primary reason that we went. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny. I didn't have anything. My parents, like my parents weren't involved in it or anything like that. I Mm -hmm. guess you could say I'm first gen as far as like my family getting involved. But, um, you know, when I first went to a dead show, uh, my buddy and I were trying to figure out where we could like sit down and hide and smoke some weed where none of the adults were going to rat us out.
0: Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Because back then it was like, you know, 15 or something. You couldn't let an adult see you smoking weed. You get busted.
0: Yeah. My grandma had... and mom were not fucking cool at all with it. And, had... and it goes back to the seeds. I used to get popped every time and I'd never figured out how my grandma always popped me when I was smoking because she would fucking always catch me. And later on, she told me it was because when I would smoke bowls in my room, the seeds would get hot and pop out and burn holes in the carpet. So all, every time there was new holes in the carpet, she knew I was in there fucking smoking, you know? Oh man. We definitely, <laughs> we definitely got
1: taught young, uh, to remove seeds. It's certainly, yeah. certainly, you know, c- certainly you don't always do it the correct way. You miss one, especially yeah, with you a compressed bud. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, there's like this paper thin seed shell.
0: Yes. Not yes. the
1: hard shell, but there's like a kind of a papery, like on a garlic, you know, clove or yeah. something. And that's you'd usually miss, what
0: stripes are on that, you'd, that thin paper
1: sleeve. Yeah. You'd, you'd miss that. And then, um, yeah. and then that would taste terrible.
0: If you oh, got yeah. that in
1: your bowl, you'd be like, Oh, you know? And so anyway, I mean, yeah, my, actually my first growing was flicking seeds out my window, you know, getting yeah. some stuff so I could go on a walk and smoke some weed. And then I'd be like mowing my out, you know, my lawn for spring in the backyard and I'd be like, Oh, you know, and I would just run right over it with the mower because I was like, I didn't even think
0: that that would happen. At, at Ridgeview, so. at Ridgeview, our high school, anybody who went there between 94 and 99 knew about the weed patch we had growing across the street. And it pretty much everybody was in on taking care of these plants as long as we could do it, you know, until the NARCs came out and figured it out.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like for, you know, the, so that's, that's just kind of to set the tone of like, that's kind of what the nineties was like, you know, yeah. in the, in the early and mid nineties, there was basically Mexican, there wasn't very good access. The education sucked, you know? Um, and, you know, we, uh, that's what started my trips to Amsterdam, mm-hmm. um, was, was, I was like, I, they have good weed over there and I don't, Yeah. you know? And then, you know, it was like, you would meet people on dead tour that could give you weed. Because mm-hmm. lots of people would bring pounds to dead tour and sell eighths and quarters and ounces, um, just to like, you know, do their two, three week run worth of shows. You know, yeah. I mean, that's essentially how, you know, I mean, that's what Kebud and Joe brand were doing when, uh, when chem bought his sacks, they were just, you know, people would bring good weed to dead shows and hustle it, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that, uh, We could talk about that a little bit because now it's like it's pretty widely spread Mm -hmm. uh, throughout different parts of society. And there's different there's certainly lots of different types of people growing weed. And that probably always was the case. But in the 90s, um, it was a hippie based group. Sure. Like the people that were most in tune with weed, the people that were most in tune with getting weed and bringing weed to you know uh dead dead shows were probably one of the greatest open air weed markets that's ever existed in America because people from all walks of life all parts of the country New York Florida California wherever they would buy or bring their weed on dead tour and that's how they would fund their party mm-hmm. their food their hotels their traveling their tickets their whatever you know most people that went to dead shows not everyone but most people went to dead shows smoke weed so it was really easy to sell weed and get by. And it wasn't nearly as sketchy as some of the other substances and stuff that people hustle. Weed was a little mellower, you know? So yeah. lots of people did it. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's some pretty famous stuff that used to get sold there. Uh, we could chat about that for a second. Um, my buddy who, you know, I, I we talked about him before. Uh, I call him Staten Island. Uh, just, you know, but he, you know, he's about seven years older than me. And so he, and skunk VA used to go to a bunch of dead shows together, um, with other people. Uh, and you know, they, uh, his favorite weed on dead tour was, uh, big sir. Holy. Um, and he said you could buy big sir. Holy skunk. And you could buy big sir. Holy haze. And he said, you know, a lot of people had like fanny packs back then of all things, but yeah. he said that like, it was so distinctive of an aroma that not only could you tell somebody had dank weed in their fanny pack, you could tell that they were holding on to the big sir. Yeah. And so out of everything that he had back then, everything he had access to um, that stuff, whoever was doing it was bringing it, uh, you know, chunks of it regularly to dead tour. And so, you know, the, the stuff that we talked about, the, the super skunk, the MSS uh, some people called that the uh, you know, the skunk six on tour. Um, there was skunk on tour, there was Northern lights on tour. Um, you know, and a lot of people, uh, that went to dead shows, uh, grew weed uh, or sold weed or new people that grew weed. So my education, um, about weed was basically, I could go to dead shows, you know, I could learn that in, in retrospect, a lot of ignorance around my area, but I could go to dead shows and I could learn from some old timers or I could go to Amsterdam. Sure. You know, uh, and I could, and I could learn from cats over there. You know, I mean, I met, uh, I met a guy, some people call him Mr. Hayes. I met a guy named Steve in Amsterdam. Um, I met, uh, Simon, um, uh, from Sirius who was super nice to me. Uh, I met some other folks just like anywhere else, you know, you go to some coffee shops, you know, coffee shops are kind of like dispensaries. They don't really have the kind all that often. Uh, they have some decent stuff. Some of them have some really nice stuff. But then when you get started getting into like the collector circles and you make some acquaintances and friends, um, you know, that kind of stuff, you start meeting and getting some better read. Um, you know, so, you know, yeah, there was, um, you know, uh, yeah, there, like, it's just true. It's It's dead shows were dead shows were the best place for. Because you got to realize, too, without the Internet, without forums, without trading, without any of that, with everything being illegal everywhere and everything being super clandestine, um, you know, little circles might get this bud or that bud in their local area, but not that much. Um, But, uh, you know, um, you know, the the modern Big Sur stuff, um, I can tell you that it's not pure. Uh, I don't know exactly the mix, but I can say that some of the Big stir stuff that's out there, uh, Staten Island has confirmed did smell very similar to. Um, we went over to Amsterdam in the '90s and we smelled the sage, the, the actual like famous cutting of sage they ran over there, and he confirmed that it did smell like the Big Sur. Some one of the versions of the Big Sur that he used to get. Um, so I can't say. Um, you know, I, there's a difference between, you know, our buddy Bodie has a cut that he uses, uh, CSI has a cut, uh, that's a little terpenaline based. Um, you know, there's some people in Colorado and other areas that has, um, that has, you know, the, the Adam cut of sage. Um, that's not really my, my wheelhouse. I can't say which ones are more legit than others. Uh, you know, but, um. You know, I'm sure it exists out there in various forms, you know? So, um, that was, uh, you know, that was the first place I saw blueberry was on dead tour. Uh, it was the first place I saw Northern lights. That was the first place I saw skunk. Um, I was the first place I saw lots of different things. So, uh, Matt wasn't really into dead shows, so he doesn't really share that experience, but, uh,
0: um, you know, I do, I will say I have, um, uh... I mean, back then we were, we, we, we were punk rockers and in, in our scene, it wasn't a weed scene. It was a heroin scene. It was a meth scene. And that was, it killed everyone. We did we didn't have, um, a big weed scene and I didn't really have the respect for the, the dead or the dead scene for that matter during those times, because they were just long hairs to us, you know? But yeah. as I've gotten older and I'm more passionate about, about cannabis, I've realized how much how much really went on in our scene and revolved around the dead shows and as far as U.S. cannabis making it from point A to point B. It's such a major, major um, part of our history. And it's and it, it was it was a serious loss not to, to really open my eyes to that early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it was kind of by default. You know, that was yeah. one of the, I mean, some of the things, you know, sometimes people ask me, um, You know, how did you get access to all these famous strains, you know? Yeah. And in honesty, like when I got, when I got a bunch of them, they weren't famous at all. It was years before any of them would become famous. So it wasn't like I got anything that I was like, oh my God, this is this, you know, it was just, this is weed, you know? Um, But hippies and dead and people that attended dead shows a bunch, they traded amongst each other. And I mean, honestly, when I moved out to Mendocino, it was because I had friends from Dead Tour that lived outside of Ucata. And yeah. I had an inn. I had I had a person that knew people. I had a person that could get me situated. I could have me, uh, you know, I could get situated, with, for lack of a better term. Now there's all kinds of people involved in weed, and it's grown much beyond it. But in the 90s, um, I don't think there was any social group that had more access to more different kinds of stuff than than hippies. Um, Because being on dead tour, you'd have friends from Miami and upstate New York and Montana and Texas and Florida and Alaska and everywhere. I mean, they would just mm -hmm. you would gather there was spring, summer and fall tour. You're traveling with people. You're partying with people. You're smoking weed. You're trading stories. Um, So that was the way that things blended, for lack of a better term. It was sort of the first forums. Proto forum. Yeah. yeah, It was dead shows. It was where like-minded people could gather, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I I know, you know, they say that there's people that have the, I'm looking at stuff. People are saying the cut didn't come from Adam. I know it didn't come from Adam. His partner is actually who brought it to Europe. I believe they brought it in seed form. Um, it was called the big sir. Holy uh, because supposedly it was grown in the back of a monastery. Uh, so it was the Holy weed.
0: Harry the monk fool. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I don't really have any like specific ties to that except for, yeah. um, you know, except for like one of my old friends, uh, it was kind of his, he would
0: tell these stories of it, you know? Uh, I, I used a few different big sir, holy lines. I had one that came from Indian guy or, and it wasn't his creation or anything. Indian guy, um, he was, he, he got a lot of seeds from people and he would distribute them. So, so we didn't really know the sourcing on a lot of this stuff from him, but it came through him and it was a pink pistoled version that was supposedly the Zihuatanejo Tanejo purple, which is in supposedly in Big sir Holy Weed. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as Zacatecas purple because Zacatecas is easier to pronounce than Zihuatanejo. Tanejo. But, um, yeah, that's there there's sure. also the Gambo version, which I believe is Big sir Holy Weed. And Reefer Man's version, and Bodhi had a version. Um the one thing that I noticed runs in common with a lot of these lines was the trepinoline And and since I'm not from that area, I don't know if that is a common trait with the original Big Sur Holy, but that is what ran in between all of these.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I can't, I'd have to uh I know for sure that and I and I I honestly don't remember uh, but we did, you know, uh Mr. Staten Island and myself bought got some sacks from the Adam and the THC crew in the midnight mm-hmm. in, in that era. And he did say that it smelled like that. I don't have a strong memory of what it smelled like. So I can't comment. Certainly Hack. the one that certainly the one comment, he knows. certainly the one that, uh, CSI uses is a bit terpenaline.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, based. I can say that for sure. Cause I've, I've puffed that in recent yeah. years and such, and have some experience with that one, but I don't think I've ever personally smoked uh, any of Bodie's pure. Uh, I certainly have smoked some hybrids, but I don't have a memory of Bodie's either, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, that's, what's funny too, is like, you know, the other thing that people should know is like, you know, uh, CSI and Bodie are both, uh, uh reasonably good friends of ours. You'd, you'd classify it as, but a lot of breeders and stuff, they, they use their strains to breed. And so some of the collection I might've known you forever and you might, but That doesn't mean that you're producing smokable weed of all of your pure lines all the time where your friends can have sacks of them either. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the times the stuff you're trying is hybrids or S1s or this or that or whatever else. A lot of these guys aren't growing a bunch of pure, you know, uh, females to smoke. Yeah. They're using them in breeding work.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, it goes back to that whole statement of some plants are growers and some plants are breeders, and sometimes they—that's not mutually exclusive. You know, sometimes. So maybe,
1: so maybe this would be a good time. This is something that Matt and I chatted about that I think is kind of—it's kind of cool. Um, but we can throw this in there. So sure. when we were talking to the 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 on on the Correll interview, one of the cool things was to me was hearing you know how they came up with the nickname Victor Barn. Mm -hmm. Uh, and how they came up with Beatrix choice. Victor barn was like the code name that the Royal put on his bank account to get, to get the kickback skim that he wasn't going to be traced to him. Yeah. And Beatrix was the queen and, you know, and and that kind of, that kind of ties in to like cannabis for a long time has always had, like, we've had this, uh, we've had this nickname game we're kind of subversive in that regard. And so we make a lot of nicknames about pop culture, you know, and stuff like that. And we use, um, we give various nicknames to read, right. Uh, Mm A little crew gets it and it becomes, you know, you, you throw a nickname on it. Uh, for instance, I'll give you a couple examples. The legend of the puck, Mm -hmm. uh, is that the guy that everybody got it from, uh, you know, he used to carry it around in a, in a hockey puck case.
0: It looked like the, some people might remember bubble tape, that bubble gum. Yes. It looks come, about yeah. that size. It literally
1: yeah. is, is is a case that holds yeah. a puck, you know? Um, and, uh, and so they called it the puck because it came out of the case. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, we, uh, I have the dog shit, um, but in Minneapolis, it was called electric boogaloo, you know, um, the snow bud was called skunk five in Florida. Um, you know, chem dog has been called chem dog. Uh, We called it just straight dog for years. Uh, Then it got called skunk VA. Mm -hmm. Then it got called chem 91. Um, And so these certain strains have names and a lot of them are funny and a lot of them tie into various things, you know, and stuff like that. But for Matt and I and others, it makes it a real bitch because (laughs) when you're trying to find out, like, is this NL five by skunk one? Yeah, They didn't keep the real name that they got. They didn't keep the lineage. There's a nickname. And so we've put a lot of time and energy and research into finding out like what the real names are. One second. one well, Before
0: you get there, we do have the top voted question is in a previous episode, you guys spoke about NL2 possibly being renamed to Hindu Kush when Sensei acquired Neville stuff. You want to go ahead and talk about that part? Sure. Ties in. So there's a there's a there's a couple
1: things there that we could that we could talk about. For one, real quick, just Hindu Kush is a region um, and that Sam Skunkman, Dave Watson, uh, he brought a Hindu Kush that was not related over to Amsterdam as well at some point. Um, and lots of things have been called Hindu Kush. But uh, in specific, this the Sensi thing, if you look back uh, in Neville's catalog, Basically, every time he talks about NL2, he ref- in every description from the 86 catalog on, he calls it a Hindu Kush phenotype. Yeah. Right? He keeps describing it as a Hindu Kush. Um, there were things that, you know, he called, uh, what he called skunk Kush was NL2 by skunk one. Yeah. Uh, you know, he kept every, 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 basically every reference you can find to NL2 in any of the seed bank catalogs, he calls Hindu Kush. Yeah. And then... When Sensi took over, they renamed a number of his things, and I spoke about this before, but um, they, uh, they renamed it NL2. And one of the clues was they also s- sold Skunk Kush, and they called it our best Hindu Kush phenotype crossed with Skunk 1. Yeah. You know, but you look in Neville's catalog, and Skunk Kush is NL2 by this. Yep. You know, and so and Sensi so just changed every reference to NL2 um, to Hindu Kush. Right. Um, and so there's they even use if you look in the verbiage of Neville's description of, of NL2 in his 88, 89 and 90 catalog, uh-huh. uh, they, they even use similar words, same words and similar verbiage and similar sentences. Um, Neville had some very long winded descriptions of his weed uh, paragraphs like that Sensi would 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 shrink them down to two or three sentences. Um, but, uh, it's pretty clear. We've documented in a variety of ways they, what, what, if you bought Hindu Kush from Sensi seeds, uh, it was NL two F three that was sold by Neville the last three years of the seed bank catalog. Um, and everything that they had that said NL two NL two just disappears off the face of the earth. Uh, with the exception that Dutch passion, uh, released an NL two Fino that they mm-hmm. called Oasis. Um, so one of the things that makes it tough is that there's so many nicknames given to weed that you try to trace back what it was. And like we talked about before, um, most of the stuff that was that was coming was either from SSSC or the Seed Bank or Sensi because that was the only games in, that were selling international seed. Um, so a lot of their genetics are absolutely laced through uh, the uh, our, our scene, yeah. but they go by different names. And then how do you piece together, you know, on, for instance, I'll give you an example. So I've, we've, I've always thought that the dog shit, or I, I like to call it the electric boogaloo, uh, because I think electric boogaloo is one of the all-time coolest names in cannabis. Yeah. Um, and so changing it to dog shit. To definitely today uh in modern cannabis where everything has to be candy and evoke images and be deserty uh yeah. there's zero chance that anybody would name anything dog it would be about as much chance of dog shit being a name as like filthy sweat sock
0: you know yeah it, just wouldn't,
1: yeah, it just wouldn't it just wouldn't come about you know <laughs> um but we've always felt that it was in a, an nl5 haze phenotype uh yeah cat piss would be very unlikely um and uh You know, if you, not that, and and Matt and I have issues with phylos, but if you go and you look at phylos, okay, some of the things that, that dog shit is supposedly fairly closely related to, um, is European NL5 haze phenotes that have been, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and so we've always, we've always had this idea that it was that. Yeah. And we were able to trace it why it was called this in Oregon. It was called this in Minneapolis, but what was it before Minneapolis? Right. And then it pops up. Phylos isn't very good at showing family relationships. It can only show them if they're really close.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it shows relationships to PIF. Yeah. It shows relationships to C5. It shows relationships to A5. It shows relationships to hash plant haze and stuff. And that's probably because it's an NL5 haze. Yeah. And so you try to get, you try to get various stuff like that. So there's all these cool nicknames, you know, and some of them, you know, I mean, we know the Cindy 99 story. Supposedly he found seeds and he's laughing, but supposedly he found seeds mm-hmm. in a butt of Jack Herrera. Yeah. So that at least gives you an indication. But if it was just Cindy 99 and you don't know that backstory part, what is Cinderella 99? Yeah. What is the origin? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the, and then it might have one nickname in one group. You know, I mean, we have some friends on our Discord server and they get into battles over it because, you know, the puck, the puck was called the, you know, hash plan. Some people called it Skelly. Some mm-hmm. older people say bullshit. No one ever called it Skelly. You know, no one ever called it this. And it was never that, you know, but different groups get it and they get different nicknames. And then what group you get it from or what group you hear about it from, that's the nickname that. I can I can tell everyone that in my crew, uh, everybody that had uh, the Kem dog, um, we called it dog. Yeah, it was the dog. You got the dog. You know, it wasn't Kem dog. We called it dog. We shortened it to dog. And these new names didn't really pop up until 06 when our when our buddy uh, Skunk VA got on the forums and people were trying to figure out what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. And so they started calling it the skunk VA cut,
0: you know, and uh, I think Canada actually named a, like Canada, the, the health, whatever their cannabis board is there that makes it legal. They actually have a strain called skunk VA because they confused it so much and confabulated it so much. They were trying to name it after chem dog, but they only named it skunk. VA. I, I got to know what skunk VA thinks about that.
1: Yeah. You know, and it was, and, and so the only reason why I bring that up is just, is, uh, um, is basically just because it just shows you the progressions of different names, that different small groups of cannabis smokers can give to a strain. And then if you get that strain through their crew, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, what is it? So, you know, another example would be you know we talked about this in the first episode that i participated in was about how my buddy from staten island went to virginia to get the skunk and he dropped it off with chem when he got the dog uh, in massachusetts and then he drove the skunk and the chem dog west yeah. right well there's a whole bunch of people that call it the mss yeah the massachusetts super skunk right mm-hmm. why because they heard about it or they saw it or they knew about it from Massachusetts. Yeah. It was from Virginia, but they didn't know that, you know, um, some people called that the super skunk. That's what we always called it in our crew. There was other people, uh, that took it to Colorado that was tied into the same Virginia crew. And they called it by the name on the tag, the, you know, the number of the seed, which was six. Yeah. So some people called it skunk six. Some people called it Massachusetts super skunk. Some people called it
0: super skunk. Um, well, I, I think some people only briefly called it Mass super skunk because what we've realized is there was another cut called Mass super skunk proliferating at the same time from the same crew.
1: Well, we didn't even realize that for years and years. Yeah, yeah, of course. That, yeah, that wasn't that, that was that was pieced together fairly recently. Yeah. The the point is is that if you were from Virginia, you called it one thing if you were from Massachusetts or New York and you got it from that crew, you liked to call it another thing. If you were from my crew in Northern California, you called it a different thing Mm -hmm. and it was all the same thing, you know? Um, And it was only recently that we started figuring, you know, we were able to, you know, through uh, various friends and stuff, start talking to the person who bred it um, and, you know, get actual information on what it was. Yeah. uh, You know, and stuff like that. And so, The point that I was trying to make there, I mean that was kind of long-winded, is that you know we add nicknames, and those nicknames are cool and neat and funny and all that kind of stuff. But then when you go to try to figure out the lineage of stuff, you hit a wall a lot of the time from 90s weed. Yeah, you don't know what it is because it got named dumpster (laughs) or electric boogaloo or snow or you know or whatever it might be. You know, the Trinity was named Trinity because it came out of a seed of bud that a friend gave someone that came from Trinity, Trinity yeah. County in California. Um, so that's where, uh, you know, yeah, somebody, you know, will we do more with SSSC. It's quite possible.
0: Yeah. Uh, guys, we, if you, if you want your questions to be a part of like the giveaway and stuff, though, put it in that little question section. It makes it easier for us to read and catch it. Like we won't miss it as much and you'll be entered in the, the giveaway. at the end. So keep that in mind guys.
1: Yeah. And so, so the name game happened everywhere um, for different reasons. In America, it was mostly in the in the 90s. It was mostly just crews giving cultural names to stuff yeah. um, in Holland and other areas. It was to hide the lineage that if they got it from somebody else. You know, they would change mm-hmm. the name oh, yeah, a little bit yeah. sometimes and hide that. That's common now in America, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people people like to hide exactly where they got what they got. Well, you can't be,
0: you can't create something magical if someone else created it. But But, I mean, that's, that's, so that's the funny part, right?
1: Is that really what it boils down to is that, you know, and we, we could talk about this kind of stuff too, is like, you know, they, everybody, everybody gets to breed or whoever wants to breed, um, you know, you get seeds and you get clones and you get whatever (laughs) from your crew. Yeah. From your connections. And you start with whatever that was, was. There is nobody out there anymore that is collecting random mass land race strains on their own travels for the most part, breeding them and bringing totally unique things that no one else except for the farmers in those regions had. Everybody gets what they get from their friends and their crew, who they know, and then they start breeding. And that's not a diss. Everyone wants to act like in today's world, breeders have to come out with some kind of totally unique genetics. Mm-hmm. And they're not just standing on the shoulders of everybody that came before them, but that's a bunch of preposterous crap.
0: Yeah. I mean, I
1: it it literally is. You get it from, you know, uh, you know, I mean, we could talk about, maybe you could talk about, you know, there's some famous strains from down by you, Matt, that you had access to like, um, bull rider. Well, see, know? bull rider was one uh, of the few
0: that I Fancy. didn't have access to. I didn't get access to bull. Rider. Hog's, Hog's breath. Hog's breath. I did
1: right? That kind of stuff, you know, that doesn't give you very good clues about what the hell's in it. No. Old Betsy, hog's breath, bull rider. Mm -mm. No, that's not very helpful. P91. Yeah. These are not helpful terms.
0: We're just barely being able to pick apart what's in P91 by its growth expressions and running through enough S1s and S2s to see what its parentage is. Just barely getting a shot at that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these things are just So they were cool at the time and they were pop culture or they were culturally related or they were an inside joke in the crew or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, then, you know, it. uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it was, but it makes it much more difficult now because a lot of these clone only elites, um, had these nicknames. Yeah. And figuring out what they actually are is tough. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it would be really amazing I mean, if if technology was different, imagine if SSSE and Neville and Sensi and Sirius and these different groups had been able to put up all of their original cuts into something like Phylos or into some, something better than Phylos, hopefully, or some kind of genetic marker group <laughs> where you could see the family tree now has exploded from all these things. Oh, yeah. Because the names have obscured just how much we depended on all of them. In my opinion, at
0: least. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, it does.
1: You know? So, um, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, someone says, I thought the P-91 was a NL-Cubed project.
0: That, that uh, was one of the many, many stories going around. Uh, there's many. There's so many about P-91 that it's silverback tie cross the something else, that it's silver pearl, that it's early pearl. Um, it looks it looks super skunk-based to me.
1: And, you know... When we were also talking to Carell, it was it was really interesting to see back then that, like you know, he got stuff from various breeders, um, but a lot of his work came from bag seeds of weed he liked from coffee shops. Yeah, and you know, I mean, obviously we we you know we uh, we've covered it, but Chemdog is a bag seed, uh, Sour Diesel is a bag seed, Cookies is a bag seed, Trinity is a bag seed. Oh uh, gee. Yeah, you can. Uh, OG was bag seed. Yeah. Uh, you can go on and on and on and on and on.
0: Apparently, uh, Runtz was too. You know, yeah, like it just—it's never going to stop. Yeah,
1: a bunch of a bunch of the most famous stuff is you find some butt seed and a bud you like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and something pops out of it, and then people are like, "Oh, you know," I mean, even with me uh, and some of these like old cuts, and people are like, "Oh, what about the Maui? What about the this? What about the that?" Like the reason why we call it the Maui is because that's where we it was from. And I was too dumb to ask any other questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time, it wasn't like, the, you know, there wasn't this like enormous thirst for specific lineage. Like you just wanted good weed. And so that's part of the problem too. Like when you start interviewing some of these people, uh, you know, when, when Matt got to interview, uh, you know, Seattle Greg or that interview that we just did, you know, you're like, okay, what exactly was, was this, what was Beatrix's choice? What was that? Give me the, give me the rundown. Give me the grandparents. Give me the, how yeah. did you, and they were like, ah, oh, you know, was, I took this good weed and I had this good weed. And then there was this buddy over here that had weed from New York and we mixed those all together and we called it that because it was a funny thing. And you're like, well, that's where that trail ends. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get the specifics of some of the stuff and not, there's this huge desire to know that. Um, but a lot of the lineage, I mean, we should be blessed that we know what we know and new information still bubbles up, um,
0: you know, and stuff like that. So, and you know, what's funny, like I've never remembered the disclaimer to run that at the beginning, but I want to go ahead and say it here and not so said it a few times in the middle of of comments and stuff, but the history we're bringing you is, is the best that we know it currently things change all the time. People come out of the word works that are actually honest. You know, with some of these old lines and can and enlighten us on some of the stuff. So when you guys are watching these episodes and stuff, do your own research, go out there, kick, kick dirt. If we're wrong, let us know. You know, yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we're trying me, to bring you the best information as we know it.
1: You're not catching me in anything if you're like, you're totally wrong and I can prove it. Yeah. Great. I would love to hear something that clarifies something. Some of this stuff is our best guess. Yeah. We usually when we present information, we try to get it corroborated from different aspects of things. Sure. Uh, that was one of the really important parts, actually, of the interview that we just did was mm-hmm. there's kind of been this battle between Sam and Neville over exactly what happened and then getting uh, Carell's, you know, opinion on what he got from yeah. from Sam as well. Uh, and the time frame that he got it in, you start getting little pieces that add in. And it backs up one story. It doesn't mean it's totally right, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that's what you do with evidence is you're trying to gather up evidence and give your best guess. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people disagree. What do you do when, when, you know, three people are involved in the making of something and two of them don't agree with the other one. Yeah. A lot of times people try to fix they're like, Well, which person do I think lies less or lies about what, or maybe their memory is just different. You know, yeah. I mean, that could be it too. I mean, people are like, oh, you said something wrong. It's a lie. It's not a lie. Well, some, sometimes it's a lie, but sometimes it's just people have different memories of the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and a lot of this stuff, you know, uh, we we had a big, you know, we had a big chat with, uh, with Caleb um, about breeding and goals and stuff like that. And we chatted about how difficult it is to actually breed.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: you know, one of the things that's so crazy about bag seeds or accidental pollinations is sometimes they're better than some human's best effort, you know, Uh, and that's really humbling. Um, You know, Neville said that all the F1s he made of haze, he liked more than all the polyhybrids he made. Yeah. He kept trying to get stuff that was as good or better and he kept failing, you know, and so a lot of stuff. You know, some of the, re- I think some of the reason why some of these 90 cuts still rule the game, like sour diesels and and cushes and, and some of these, a lot of these old cuts that are still blended into things is because they were just like two raw things that weren't like each other accidentally combined. Yeah. And that's one of the real things in breeding that makes a big difference is if you can cross things that are really dissimilar to each other, you tend to get better results. So it's a hard time yeah. to sit there and be like, Oh, I'm going to take, you know, cushments and I'm going to cross it by cherry pie by Kush, you know, or something. There's like, it's, it's pretty similar. You yeah. know, Neville found that a lot of the pure Afghans didn't like each other at all. Yeah. You know, it, you, you know, so you take, you take two totally different random things from two different gene pools. And that's kind of why, like, I am a, I'm a nineties guy. Uh, I've, I've said a bunch of times, that I think the nineties is my favorite area era of weed. And, um, you know, the reason why I think that is that that was sort of the first polyhybrid era, mm-hmm. right? Most of the things before that were like simple crosses. And then people started taking simple cross two F ones and crossing them together. Um, and a lot of times that raw work was really good. You know, so the AK forty seven, the the bubblegum, the Cali Miss, the Western Winds, a bunch of the stuff Neville was doing, the sour diesel. And the other thing about it is is because weed was so good weed was so rare, if it was good, it all sold.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So the best way to keep a bunch of diverse weed alive is if it all sells super easy. Mm-hmm. The worst thing, one of the worst things that's happened to cannabis is these this named this named strain game where these different waves of purples or sours or or cookies or Skittles or whatever, I've said it a bunch of times before, but um, every time that's the only thing that's easy to sell and get top dollar, a whole bunch of diversity is just going to get put by the wayside because people, people are like, this is hard to sell. This isn't hard to sell. Well, in the nineties, if it was good bud, it was easy to sell. Yeah. Which meant that every kind of good bud imaginable survived because it all worked. Right. And I think that's really important for people to understand is that like, you know, if you want all this diversity to survive, you have to support it. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a customer driven market. And I don't, I think that that's very little understood. I mean, I talked about that with my buddy Manic quite a bit um, the other day. It's a very customer driven market. And what the customer wants is, you know, they want. Uh, the new, the shiny, uh, what's hype, what's, you know, they want variety so they can select from a pack. And that really is the opposite of what breeding brings, you know, like you, breeding brings uniformity, working lines, you know, there, there's a thousand reasons why it's a customer driven market. And if things are ever to change, there has to be that that want from the uh, community to, to allow people to work lines for six, you know, five, six years to actually work a line and not and because it's not hype it won't sell you know it's it's a hard it's a it's a catch-22 for breeding. yeah
1: and I mean there's you know there's I mean it's kind of funny in a sense but I mean I I know we know people that one of the ways that they got a bunch of old strains that they have is they had five or six rare hype cuts mm-hmm. and they would find old growers that had something that they were really excited about and this guy was like oh my god I'm having a hard time selling my herb yeah. you know and they'd be like, well, you know, I can give you this blue cookies and you'll get top dollar. And mm-hmm. they'd be so pumped, you know, to get it, you know, and 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 because people, I mean, you know, the name of the game, uh, you got to survive. Yeah. You got to find something that moves. You got to find something that unless you're growing strictly on a personal basis and there's zero financial incentive in it at all. Yeah. Um, you have to give customers what they want. and. One of the things that, you know, we're not going to talk about breeding very much on this episode, you know, but one of the aspects is like, for diversity's sake, is that it's hard to grow things and to take a risk um, when the public might not like it very much. Yeah. Which is why right now people are like, okay, well, how many different ways can I cross Skittles, Cookies, and Kush and find something new? Yeah. And the problem is, is that since that's been done like crazy for the last 10 or 12 or 14 years or whatever people keep hoping that they're going to try slightly different variations of the same cuts combined and pop something massively new and exciting. Yeah. You know, but they're really not.
0: And now everything looks like gelato
1: because I mean, it's just, but but for that thing too, it's like, it's not, it's just, there's only so many things you're going to get out of the same combinations of traits. And if like you that. keep going
0: from bag seed to bag seed to bag seed to bag seed, you're selecting in a single direction. Usually you're selecting a single direction or a narrowing gene pool, regardless. And the, the more it goes to that, the more you're going to see things look all the same, have similar chirps, similar high.
1: Um. So, oh man. Uh, so now we have a new top question. Uh, I don't know if we want to do this. Yeah, let's, let's
0: head into some questions. Dude. There's a
1: bunch of good questions. Yeah, there so is. So the, t- the top one right now, um, is I know Natsos talked briefly about his headband cuts, but here's my question: Which headband of his cuts did CSI use for his fem crosses with the D and the TK? If I could talk a little bit about the different cuts of headband he has and how long he's had each one, a little background on where each cut came from, and finally which one of those cuts was used in the two crosses by CSI. Uh, okay, so apparently those have gotten real popular, which is nice. Um, so, uh, at this point, um, CSI is way more prolific than I am in terms of accessible stuff to the public. So I gave him what I call my LA cut, uh, which I've talked about before. I got that cut in the very early two thousands. Um, I Mandelbrot was, uh, was trying to change what he was up to and was thinking about starting a seed company, uh, and starting breeding. And so I gave him a whole bunch of my superdog crosses. Uh, I gave him my sour diesel. I gave him uh, my super skunk and a couple other cuts um, there's been some rumors I gave him the Mali or the mendo p or the chem dog I didn't um and uh and he gave me uh the la cut, which is the headband. Uh, so that was the first headband cut I saw.
0: Maybe explain um, a little bit of the reason why white has two names in your group because it's caused a lot of confusion in the head yeah it's
1: a, so it's a it's basically like, it's a ter- it's it's a terrible situation uh, <laughs> there's uh there's two names so when i got it you have to realize when i got it in 01 okay mm-hmm. um or so uh the kush craze had not hit yet yeah nobody really had kush uh we have a friend that had it yeah um there was a few houses in la that were running it shout there out to make- resident long yeah there was maybe there was there were there was there was a few crews in la that had it uh, there was a few places in Florida that had it. Uh, nobody really knew about it. The craze hadn't hit yet. That was still four or five years away, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, when would you say you're from Southern California, Matt? When would you say like the 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 Kush craze really hit?
0: The rage came like 2006, 2007, 2008. It was in everybody's hands by like 2008. People started collecting rare rare okay, OG yeah. cuts.
1: So, so you got to realize when I got this cut, it was LA Kush. Yeah. Okay. Which now, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have been like, "Bro, that's not Kush." If you want me to show you what real Kush is, I will. Yeah, you know, yeah. but you have to realize is that, like in oh in O one ish or whatever, it, like nobody had really seen Kush hadn't snuck out. Yeah. There It was like a couple people that had it. You know, it was still super tightly held, and so, and I was like, "Well, what is this?" And he's like, "It's a headband, Fino." Mm-hmm. And if you go look, I have screenshots and stuff. You know, uh, Mandelbrot wrote some. Uh, Some uh, essays and stuff for Humboldt Seed Organization and some other stuff, and he always talks about L.A. Kush, and then in parentheses he puts Headband. Okay, who named Headband? Headband is unknown. Unknown, totally unknown. Exactly what's in Headband is unknown. Unknown. Uh, I tend to believe it's a Chemdog Super Skunk hybrid of some type. I can't say that's all that's in it, but it has so many similarities. It's a diesel. It's not exactly a diesel. Uh, But it's a diesel family. That's what it looks like to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we used to sell it as sour for the longest time. Uh, No one ever called me out and said it wasn't sour. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, when when Mean Gene got it uh, in my my community uh, way back when, and he used it as the final stage in making his root beer, which has become world famous in the last little bit, Mm all the rage, he got it as sour. Uh, and cause some people would just call it that cause that's what the buyers wanted. Um, and so, um, you know, when he lost it, he kept trying to get sours and none of the sours he got were it because it wasn't it, you know, uh, he didn't even realize what cut it was until a, a while ago I showed it to him and I cracked him a jar and he was like, Oh my God, this is it. This is mm-hmm. the cut, you know? So, um, so basically what it boils down to is that there's two names for it, LA cushion headband. LA Kush is vastly confusing because of the Kush craze that hit and the fact that there's like 58 different Kush cuts that came out of Southern California within five or six years. And the headband, most people don't have it. So they confuse it with Lumpa headband. They confuse it with the Bay Area headband. They want to know, well, is it different than the um, oh god, what are some of the other names, Matt?
0: Well, the 56, I mean
1: you know, there's there's all these different names yeah. and they all get confusing. They all have crazy lineage. So the I just called the LA for like it's, it's what I put on all the tags on it for lack of a better way to put it. Um, but you know, back then it was by far the first headband I'd seen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, I didn't see cush until I believe the first time I actually got a plant of OG. I got the flow rider in Oh, four. Yeah. Uh, so it was years before I saw, uh, anything that became known as Kush. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's that's the name. The next headband cut I saw, some people call the 56 day. It takes longer than that. Uh, the story is is not the greatest. I don't really like to tell it, but yeah, basically, huh? You don't need to tell it. Huh? We well, but basically, let's let's put it real simple: there was some violence in the Kush crew down in Southern California. Some people took this cut and fled to the bay. They were hiding out in the bay and they didn't want any drama to follow them. So they had this cut, but they didn't, and they wanted to grow it, but they didn't want to call it that. And so, they uh, they decided to name it the headband to throw people off the trail. Yeah. And then at some point, uh, a few years after that, maybe it was 5 ish or something like that, they gave out a mislabeled tray. They had, they were selling a tray of cuts to a buddy, and they gave him a tray of this headband cut uh, instead of uh, instead of the other one, and it slipped out. So. If you see, there's a there's an a, a old friend of mine who uh, runs a lot of chem strains. Uh, he goes by IC, you know, uh, ICC, IC Collective on Instagram. Um, the headband cut that he runs is that cut. Um, Mr. Bob Hill uh, got that cut around that same time from that same group. Uh, that's the headband cut that he has. Or the Matt that Matt
0: Elite has, really, yeah. Um, yeah, Matt Elite. I mean, and I'm that's just saying one like that- different... Different when people groups. see me running headbands, and and I, I'll mention this because we are going to release a headband blue bonnet through Breeder Syndicate, so if people are looking out for that, that's going to be the fifty six headband. Now so, yeah, in our Matt. crew, it's we have headband by Nato. We always call that Nato's headband, and then we have the fifty six headband that, that I think most of us refer to as headband headband.
1: Yeah, so so that that came out. I got it. I got it in about 06. Mm-hmm. It's very cush like. Uh, it's one of the most potent cuts I hold. Um, it's a really, really great cut. Uh, and you're talking potent.
0: about the 56 curve. The
1: 56. I mean, actually, to be honest, both cuts. I would yeah. put both the LA and the 56 in my top five potency of things. I mean, it, they're really good. Yeah. They're really, really both high high quality strengths. But whatever the headband, the 56 was called before, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's not a headband. It was renamed a headband to literally throw off the trail of whatever it actually is.
0: But but to clarify, we don't know who named headband, so it could have been the first use of the name headband.
1: No, because I got the LA cut in 01, and he said it was a headband fino. That's right. Um, yeah. And I don't think they renamed it until the mid two thousand, like two thousand four or five or six or something ah, like that. that's interesting. Um, yeah. because I don't, it didn't slip out in the bay until around that. I mean, you could ask your buddy Matt Elite when he got yeah. it, but yeah. But there's a crew. There's a crew um that got it in that same general time it's a super nice cut um the other famous one is the lumpa um which is an og which isn't which is another like kush type you know he's pretty sensitive about it you know but it seems like it popped up on the forums and the first place we can trace back him mentioning it is about 08, 08, oh eight late 08 early 09 yep um so the la predates that by about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um it predates the 56 by about four or five years as far as having the headband name. Um, you know, there's other things thrown out like day wrecker and stuff like that. I have no idea. We can't Um, trace the day wrecker lineage very far. It's very hard. I I can't trace it. Um, but you know, to answer to final the guy's question, um, the la uh I gave to CSI specifically because I wanted my main goal with breeding is to get better weed into people's hands. Uh, and I knew he would throw it in various rooms and release hybrids of it. And I believe the first two hybrids he's released of it are the TK and the D, MD. Yeah. Um, uh, D, TK, and LA are some of my favorite things. Uh, so I have high hopes that those things will combine well. I especially have high hopes for the D, which uh, for a variety of reasons, um, but, uh, that's the headband cut. That's the story of the three main ones. Um, there's some guys in New York that say they have a different one. There's some other people that say they have this or that headband is absolutely one of the most mysterious names in cannabis lineage is a pain in the ass who named it is a pain in the ass. Um, I'm not saying that I have the first one, but I have the first one that I encountered. Yeah, that's it does first seem, encountered. It, it does seem like those other two popped up years after. Um, for lack of a lack of a better term, yeah, uh, you know. So, I don't know. There's another question that got a bunch of votes. Whose Durban poison is the official version, Mel or Sam? Well, uh, so I can answer that. Also, when Corell stated the Durban was imported, wouldn't that make DP comparable to Mexican brick? Uh, yeah. So basically, you know, we chatted about this at the end of the last interview. But Mel Frank, in either 1978 or 79, he gave uh, Sam Skunkman both the Afghani one and the Durban poison that he had. And Sam traded him some sativas. Uh, Sam then later on in, in 84, 85, when he went to Amsterdam, he brought Mel Frank's uh, version of Durban poison to Amsterdam. Um Mel Frank had some terrible accidents and he lost, I believe all of his original seed collection sometime in 83 or 84 as well. So um, we thought for a long time that Mel Frank's version was the only Durban poison uh, in Holland. And therefore everybody's Durban poison must be a derivative of what Sam brought from Mel. Uh, but then in the Corral interview, we find out that that was totally wrong. Mm-hmm. And, there was an actual coffee shop named Durban poison that sold South African weed and they got all their Durban poison from bag seed that they bought from the coffee shop. Yeah. So that really widens the Durban poison gene pool, um, you know, uh, and where people got things. So if people got Durban poison from SSSC, it was probably, it was from bag seed. If they got it from um, Neville, it was probably Mel's version. And it's hard to say. Other other seed banks carried uh, Durban Poison, other than those two, and we don't really know right at this particular moment what their sourcing is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I don't know if there's an official Durban Poison, um, and the version that Mel is selling now, or that not Mel is selling, but maybe it's Todd or somebody like that is selling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all claimed to be original or whatever. But I mean, Mel said that he lost his collection in the '80s, early '80s, so. It would have to be stuff that they got back from Amsterdam from someone at some point. Yeah. Maybe it was from Sam Skunkman. Maybe it's reproduction Sam. Yeah, who knows? And sold back to Todd or somebody else or uh, that kind of thing. Uh, who made Blue Dream? Don't know.
0: So the, the running theory is bluegrass seeds, a blue hen, uh, which was the very first super silver haze. Blueberry cross and the SC cut that we were all growing back in the day—the very first iteration of Blue Dream—was uh, very much a Super Silver haze DJ Blueberry. So that's that's the most conclusive I've seen. Plus, the old photo in the canna Bible is a picture of the Blue Dream SC cut under Blue Hen, and Jason King got a lot of stuff right about that part.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I've heard rumors. You know, um, it's it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Um, It's nothing conclusive. It's a great cut. I mean, it got people laugh at it, but when it's grown right, you know, when it's grown right and it's not, you know, people laugh at it because there were so many people. It got so big. So many people grew seven to ten pound blue dreams and flooded the market with huge blue dream stuff. You know, if you grow it and it only gives you four or five six
0: ounces, it's pretty dank. And and there was also the mass influx of when blue dream got popular. uh, Spanish seed banks. Kicking out a bunch of Blueberry Haze crosses labeled Blue Dream and U.S. US companies sold Blue Dream seeds in mass, which really, really ruined the market for that actual cut. Now that cut is almost impossible to find. I see lots of stuff that looks like it, but doesn't smell like it anymore.
1: So there was another. Were you guys able to find out any more info about the Haze A&C females? Uh, not really, except for. There is a group of haze collectors in Holland that have various ones have various old hybrids and cuts and they call them different things. Uh, They have some different names to them. Uh, In the first part of the interview with Matt, when he said he had haze C, my job out hit the floor because I thought he had the mail we used all famously. And that was confirmation that, that, that he had it and he was going to use it and all this different stuff. And that was pretty amazing. Now it turns out that there are two different females um, that needs some more research. I don't mm-hmm. think M- Matt and I right now can speak definitively to exactly what those are. Yeah. Um, but the hope would be that there's some kind of hybrid that we didn't realize existed. Uh, that would be the, that would be the best.
0: Um, um, someone was asking about sacred seeds. I did. And I, I mentioned this earlier when someone asked if we were going to have salmon. I reached out. I made an offer for him to come on the podcast just to talk about history. No bias. Um, He wasn't very receptive, but hopefully in the future he changes his mind because he's a a very important character in all this.
1: Yeah. So um, what exactly makes a real skunk? Um, So I would say two things. One, obviously if it, if anything that comes out that smells extremely skunky, you could call skunk. And two would be um, that's the name that, that, Rob and, and Sam gave to this hybrid hybrid of Colombian, Mexican, and Afghani. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all the phenos that come out of that would be real skunk. The ones that smell like skunk, the ones that smell like grape, the one that smell like citrus.
0: I always I oh I never call it skunk. I only call it skunk one just to to never divide the two or to never yes. confabulate the two.
1: You know, but it just goes to show that you know you can. You know, you can have something in a strain that's quite predominant for a while and you can read away from it and you can get other expressions to pop up. And then those expressions that were once at once very common, not Yeah. now you can't find them again. Yep. Um, is anyone working with an elite
0: super silver Haze? Old Sog. That's my favorite personally. But yeah, there's good super silver Haze's out there. His is one that's been passed around a long time on like Tannicabana and other places. And it's my personal favorite. It had this Willy Wonka factor, where when you inhale it, it's cherry, and you exhale, it's cheese. It was really unique that way. Very skunk one-y in that sense. It's faster flowering than most hazes. Uh, much more manageable than most hazes. I like it. What about you? Um,
1: you know i I like haze. I like sativas in general. I, I like. I'm I'm a peculiar kind of person. I like I like different expressions of stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like favorite food. Even if yeah. you have your top three or four favorite foods, you certainly don't want to eat them every day. Um, I have, I, I have weeds that I would like to smoke regularly. Um, and then I have stuff that I would like to like, like, you know, palate cleansing, if you will, that I like to have around. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll say things like even most strains, like, like for instance, I, you know, the LA is one of my favorite cuts. If you smoke it every day, you get ripped. If you go a few months without smoking it and then you smoke a fresh batch, it does something different to you. So there's something about terpenes and cannabinoid content and building up tolerances and stuff um, that, you know, uh, I think variety is the spice of life, you know? Um, And I like unique highs. I like sativa highs. I like indica highs. I like the blends. It just has to be potent and do something to me that I enjoy, you know? Yeah. Uh, There's some more questions top three strains that dead tour disseminated it's impossible uh yeah. like it was it was literally an open air weed market people would bring all kinds of strains from all kinds of walks of life to be sold in small amounts to other hippies at campgrounds and on the lot and stuff like that so i mean my top 3 might just be the people that i knew uh you could probably ask a bunch of old deadheads and stuff and they might have all kinds of different stories of what their top 3 was um you know, uh so, you know, I what which headband is the dog head from Skunk VA? I believe I'd have to ask him, we'd have to check to be sure. I believe his is the 56 day. I'm pretty comes, sure,
0: but we have to ask. Yeah,
1: I'd have to, I'd have to ask to be told. It's definitely not the LA. No, he not he the does LA. not have that one. I believe um him, like I said, uh, I see collective and, and him a long time ago, they've known each other a long time, I believe in that little circle in our little circle, that's the one that got passed around. Um, so JJ, knew, JJ said Lumpus headband is fake. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that one, except for, um, you know, we think that uh, the Lumpus headband is a very potent Kush uh, you know, I think that's the fairest.
0: Um, and 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 I will, I can quote Lumpa. I mean, we were very good friends for a long time. He said, that's just a fucking OG. Like, he even said it himself. That's just a fucking OG.
1: So, you know, I mean, he's, I mean, I, I'm not, i not, I, you know, the Lumpa headband is a good cut. Yeah, it's, 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 it's
0: potent fuck. It's yeah. enjoyable it was,
1: smoke. Yeah. Um, it certainly came out later than the other headband cuts. He's pretty mm-hmm. protective of the name, you know, because um, he put his name on it or whatever. But it's a super nice cut, you yes. know? Um, but it is one of the later headbands to pop up on the scene. Yeah. Um, speaking of Neville and NL5, thoughts on the Basic 5 that is the co-parent with Skunk 1 and the M39 Skunk 1 by Basic 5? From You know, that one's kind of tough. Um, you know, we, we asked uh, one little question about it. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't get the clearest answer. Uh, I do think that they're probably the same. I mm-hmm. can't say for sure, um, you know. It's it's not clear.
0: Yeah, unless unless he actually says, like, yeah, for sure, this was it. You may not remember, you know. But, yeah, it's uh, not. It's
1: it's at this particular time, it's not clear. I yeah. mean, that's really all I can say about it. It does seem. It does seem like you're right in the sense that you can look at those two things and be like, oh, those seem like they're similar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not. Uh, there's not. There's not any verification. You know, or of anything like that, you know, so, uh, I don't know what to say about that anymore. So that was, uh, um, you know, that was, uh, I don't know. That was all the questions, but yeah, do some housekeeping for a minute and then we'll chat about some different stuff.
0: Oh, if there's a legend, you guys want to come on the show. I mean, there's there's a lot of these old dudes out there. And, I mean, we're not really bringing people on that are like bud tenders and, and, and stuff like that that are more common era. Um, we're trying to keep this to the history of strains. You know what I mean? Like, because that's what we love. That's what we nerd out on. But if you know someone that you'd be really into, give them a shout. Reach out to them. Tell them, hey, there's this podcast. You know, you might be into it. Send it to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have some different ideas and stuff like that. It's going to be a pretty wide ranging podcast. We started with the the 80s just because that's kind of like the beginning of what most people are familiar with. Uh, We want to do some other work. Uh, We have some pretty cool stuff planned. Some of it takes a certain amount of research and making sure that the proper people have time. We're going to try to be bringing on, you know, one of the things that's going on with other podcasts is that they tend to be interviews of current people selling seeds, uh, which is great to get a, a sure. view into the mind of that person and an idea of what their desires and what their ideas are.
0: Yeah. Uh, but
1: th- it seemed like it was underserved, and there could be a lot of interest in the history of what's going on right now uh, and how we got here. And so, there's going to be a com- a bunch of history. There's going to be some interviews. There's going to be some different aspects of things there's, going it's on. Not just
0: so getting his only ch- onlyfans channel up. Um,
1: oh my goodness! So yeah, yeah, there's there's all kinds of different things going on. So. Yeah. I mean, people are, you know, breeder like Breeder Steve, Bodie, you know, people were raging about uh, getting Caleb on. We got him on. Uh, we have a bunch of network of friends and different things like that. Um, you know, it's all about their availability and them fitting into the show. I mean, you you know, we actually didn't interview Caleb. We just brought him on to talk about something that's close to his heart, which is breeding goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so we might have some people on that we're not even really interviewing them per se. We're just adding their voice to the larger group uh, discussion, you know? So uh, yeah, we have, you know, archive, you know, there's various people that have reached out. Um, We're going to fit them all in. I mean, we want to keep, we want to keep doing all that stuff. Uh, Staten Island. I don't know. I'll have to ask them. I just talked to them last week. We'll see. uh, We'll see what people say. Some of them are shy. Some of them are busy. Some of them we might want to just wait and fit in. You know, Breeder Steve would be a good person to bring on when we want to talk about the Switzerland era of things. Because he was one of the big people in the Swiss era, along with Shanti
0: and some others. Or Blueberry or any number of
1: things. Yeah, or any number of different things. So we're not just trying to bring people on to talk about their history per se. If we can talk about their history and combine it with some other era that's pertinent to them, uh, that makes sense too.
0: So, uh, be sure to keep your eyes out for the notification emails. We're still doing Crowdcast right now. However, we are planning on switching over to Twitch. Um, so, if you have a Twitch account, make sure. If you don't have one, go make one. Very soon, we're going to be switching over to Twitch, and it's going to be a little bit different format. Um, on Twitch, I can actually put like pictures up on the screen as opposed to trying to hold them up and like shakily show you. Um so yeah, but but for the moment we're gonna keep doing crowdcast and make sure that you're you're registered on crowdcast. Make sure you follow the the podcast if, if you want the notification. Um let's see what else we've got. Well then
1: I'll throw a couple of things in here. I'll throw a plug. We have a, a breeder syndicate Discord uh mm-hmm. that we Matt and I and uh actually quite a few of our close friends contribute to all the time. So if you want to talk about things at length,
0: you can always hit us up on there. Um, we Um, we, are I, I just started doing documentaries about weed, different weed documentaries, you know, uh, we can show cool movies yeah, on it. We,
1: we post content. We post old pictures. We post old articles, seed bank stuff, all that different types of stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, I do look like I'm sitting in a pew. I'm traveling right now. So I'm You're in, in this really odd. I'm in this really odd chair. It's not my style, That's but this throne. is what I have to do in order to get to it. But yeah. The breeder syndicate, there's an email, uh, for me now set up there that we set up this week. So if people want to ask questions, um, your, your questions could turn into a whole episode, frankly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you never know. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, you know, we want to bring stuff that's people, um, you know, about people's interest. Um, but there's a, there's a bunch of cool stuff going on in the breeder syndicate discord. We chat on there all the time. Um, one of the things that Matt and I are doing, is we kind of wing it on this show a little bit but the reason why we can wing it is because this is our hobby. Yeah. You know, weed history, learning all this different aspect, trying to like find truths amongst this. This is my uh, weed life partner.
0: So, so this yeah, is
1: yeah. a this is what we chat about all the time. So really this is just like Matt and I have been doing this with a big group of friends for years. Yeah. And all of a sudden we just turned on the camera and decided to bring other people in. Yeah. Is kind of is really kind of the focus of it. And so some of this stuff is pretty well-worn paths for us. Yeah. So uh, it's really not, you know, the, the financial aspect of it is, is, I mean, it's relevant in the sense that you need finances to exist. Yeah. You might not know, but the speakeasy crew behind this, they do a ton of time of editing and a bunch of work and a bunch of leveling and a bunch of all this stuff to bring this to you. They're kind enough to host this thing. So, you know, um, purchasing seeds from them, purchasing some merch from them. Uh, your
0: breeder syndicate merch. We got merch, you know, joining breeder,
1: joining the, joining the breeder syndicate. Uh, it costs about the cost of a latte a month. Yeah. So it's not an enormous situation out there, you know? So,
0: and in um, the very near future, there is going to be major discounts for seed purchases on speakeasy. If you're a part of their Patreon and our Patreon, which would cost you 10 bucks a month, but it's, it's insane. Like the amount of savings that, that they're talking about doing is pretty crazy.
1: Um, yeah. So yeah. we get along with we get along with, you know, obviously, Speakeasy are our friends. They're hosting yeah. our thing. They're bringing it to people. They put a bunch of time and energy into uh, having us talk about a bunch of weed nerd stuff. So, um, you know, certainly if you want to support them or buy seeds from them or merchandise or get on here and chat, that that helps things. Yeah. So um, all these lives, we do these lives twice a month and then we turn them into podcasts. They're not the only podcast we put out. Obviously, but we're going to keep this kind of stuff going, you know? Yeah. So if you're interested in this, we're going to keep rolling out. We're going to try to bring every relevant bit of history over time to the forefront. Um, some of it takes a while to develop, so it sounds confident and we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and That's we can true. get the people that we'd like to bring on with us on the site. Um, yeah. But bear with us. And, uh, you know, uh, thank you all for listening. As always, we still got more to do, dude. Uh, you know?
0: Well, we then there you do. go. Roll out. Keep going. Okay, so we got, uh, I mentioned the C-Drop. We're going to have a breeder Syndicate C-Drop with a 56-day headband, uh, Blue Bonnet. It's going to be me and Nato's first little adventure together in that sense. Um, Also, one thing I never mentioned, and it's super important, it helps us out a lot. It helps uh, the the podcast grow. Please go rate it on on whatever platform you're watching this on, whether it's, uh, uh, I don't know, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcast, any of it go throw up a rating. And if you don't like it, tell us what you don't fucking like. Tell them I'm fucking ugly, whatever. Just interacting. Interacting is awesome. So please go rate it. And uh, yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, certainly rate it. Um, certainly, if you want to send links, if you listen to the podcast on Spotify or on Apple or iPhones or whatever, you know, um, share it with friends, you know, share it with people you think might be interested in with it. Um, one of our the, the main goal for this is education. Yeah. We really want to get some of this history out there. We really want to spark conversations amongst people. We really want to get interest in like how we all got here going. Um, that's the coolest part about it for me, honestly. And that's why I do it. This is a total hobby, you know? Um, so uh, I appreciate everyone that listens. It takes a time out of, you know, their Friday night to chat with us and go through it so really appreciate all that you know yeah
0: and and for those of you posting old memorabilia now like the stuff you got thank you like anybody who's digging up all this stuff that we've never seen like there's a lot of stuff maybe you only have that last issue of that magazine so so mad props to everyone who's joining in on the on the history search adding to the conversation all that i love it man keep it going And just
1: because you think the hit some common history might be common to your crew, it might be rare or it might be a puzzle piece that fits into other things that we already know that might be a real light bulb. So yeah. reach out, you know, um, and all that all the time. We're, we're not we're not elitist on any level, um, but it's crowdsourcing yeah. uh, information and trying to verify it and trying to get it out there to people. All right. Well, it's all been right. fun, fellas. Enjoy everybody's Friday night. Peace.
0: Peace.